This is episode 29 of The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome back to The Healthy Sensitive. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show, and today I want to talk about something that is a little controversial, or at least controversial in highly sensitive circles. I want to talk about the value of thickening one's skin. I hear this all the time as a sensitive person, that I need a thicker skin, that I am thin-skinned, that I need better boundaries, or I need a longer radius of a boundary at the very least. And up until recently, I've been extremely offended by this. Why should I have to get thicker skin just so that you can be comfortable with my emotions? Why, pray tell, can't you figure out a way to thin your skin a little bit more so as to get yourself an example of what it would feel like to be in, and to really take this metaphor a little farther than perhaps it should, my skin? Why don't you try walking in my shoes rather than immediately insisting that it's my feet that are the problem? How do you know? I've lived that way with that sense of almost embittered resentment which meets impassioned self-acceptance for a good chunk of my life until recently. I'd say within the last couple of years, I've started to look a little bit more keenly at this resistance I have with regard to toughening up or thickening my skin. I think a useful metaphor here could be when you're a kid. I don't know if you remember being a kid, but you're on the playground and you're playing on the monkey bars, if monkey bars are even a thing anymore. And initially, at least, when you'd swing on them, it would hurt. It would be painful to be swinging from one bar to the other because your hands would get chafed. The right where the inside of the knuckles are, it would burn and it would make it difficult to get all the way across said monkey bars. Over time, though, blisters would start to form and the blisters, if continuously chafed against for a long enough period of time in the elementary school realm, I suppose it would be several months, All of a sudden, monkey bars would be doable because the calluses in our hands would allow, allow us to move more freely. I'm starting to wonder if maybe there isn't value in doing that as adults, but with our emotions. Even us highly sensitive types who have a lot to offer by virtue of having our thin skinnedness, if for nothing more than for the like for the pure value of being able to connect with other people more easily as a result of our thinner said skin. Maybe there's something to it. I say this because there are several contexts in which this has come up. Three, really. One of them is in my relationship, my romantic relationship. The other is with regard to familial dynamics, so another spin on relationships, really. And the final one is work. And I'm always a little reluctant to disclose some of my own personal stuff because I never really know if that's something people want to hear. But given that as a listener, I often appreciate hearing other people's willingness to be vulnerable, I will disclose a little bit. Forgive me if this is a little bit too much. 
In my relationship, I am dating a man who is the furthest from sensitive that you can possibly get. And I don't mean to say that he's a complete jerk or incapable of connecting or lacking intuition. If anything, I think his spidey senses are pretty good. He's pretty good at identifying when there's something wrong in the environment. And he's also pretty good at identifying what people need if there is a lack of some kind. But it's not because he's feeling what I feel or feeling what you feel. It's because he is the master at deduction. He could give Sherlock Holmes a run for his money. That's for damn sure. So dating someone like him, though, who is so very logical and so deductive, can be unnerving for someone who's constantly feeling all of my experiences as opposed to just analyzing them. He is the furthest from a thin-skinned being that you could ever hope to meet. His thin is thick enough to really compete with any hide that you could possibly imagine. So in his emotional realm, everything that bombards him, for it to touch him, to really even catch his attention, it has to be at a pretty high caliber, at least in the emotional realm, as I mentioned. But for me, anything could be perceived as a slight or as an opportunity for exhilaration. So between the two of us, we obviously fell in love, I think, because we're so fascinated by each other. I see him and it seems like a foreign creature and he sees me and is likewise bemused at the very least. But the problem is when we're in conflict. I want to run for the hills. I do not like conflict. Conflict is painful. He wants to run toward conflict. Conflict is how things get done. He's the brash bartender meets chef who's in the restaurant, burling around, ready to just shout at, shout at the top of his lungs and give anyone a piece of his mind if they it could deign to do anything less than their utmost in the restaurant. I'm the one who's soft, who's kind and sweet and even keeled. Except that it turns out maybe I'm not. This is why I'm bringing this up, this whole value of thickening your skin. Because I'm starting to realize, by doing some personal work on myself at least, that maybe there's value in trying to build emotional calluses so as to better move in the world and, well, use the metaphorical monkey bars that we'll need to get across so that we don't constantly find ourselves knee-deep in the sand someplace. So my relationship is one opportunity to have witnessed this. Before this particular gentleman, all of my relationships were very soft, and so it kind of meshed. This is the first person who's sort of banging me against the head every once in a while and saying, Are you home? McFly? Hello? <laughs> so that's one context. I also have another, and it's in my family. There's a lot of emotional dynamics that come with substance abuse and addictions, and addiction is something that runs in my family. At least there's, and it's brought a lot of drama. Drama for all parties involved, and most of all, and unfortunately, my niece is sort of the victim in this, not the addict in this case, but at any rate. And in the past, I've been soft and gentle, and I've tried to reason and rationalize but I'm finding that that's actually not really useful, not when it comes to something like addiction. Being a little bit of an asshole is actually working quite well, or at least what I perceive to be very asshole-like, it turns out, is maybe just assertive. But I've been so soft and so sweet and so conflict-avoidant that to what other people would say, 
well, to what others would look at and say is simply assertive behavior, I feel internally like I may as well be yelling at the top of my lungs. Finally, the last context is at work. I've, I'm a coach, I'm an educator, and I'm finding myself getting less and less patient with people who are trying to forgive my language. Maybe I just won't say it. Maybe I'll say fluck with me. <laughs> um, I'm finding that people are trying to give me excuses for their behavior, and I, because I'm me, am saying, yes, it's okay that you weren't able to complete that thing or do that goal or what have you. And I'm doing it particularly in my place of work, not so much in my practice, but I'm finding it's becoming increasingly useful to just be assertive and straight and real and maybe even blunt. Is there value then for us highly sensitive people in really looking at some of the behaviors that we ascribe to sensitivity and maybe we use it almost as an excuse not to have to be adults? Let me give you some examples. So this is why, for example, highly sensitive people have a tough time with, maybe it's better to say I'm going to give some context, some examples that highly sensitive people seem to have tough times in. So they dislike conflict. It's physically painful for us. And I mean that. When we're in conflict, you can watch as the brain lights up. Our inflammatory markers go up significantly. And when you look at what's happening in the brain, whatever pieces are lighting up look an awful lot like physical pain. So when we're in battle, we are very unhappy. We do not like to fight. So we often end up in this kind of weird teeter-totter, not even teeter-totter. Let's call it a cost-benefit analysis. Let's say I need something, and the only way I'm going to get it is if you give it to me. But I happen to know that, or at least I think I know, that you might not want to, or that in you giving it to me, it would cost something for you, from you even. So let's imagine that this is the scenario. As a highly sensitive person, I'm running a cost-benefit analysis, and I'm thinking to myself, I have a need that's not getting met, and I would really like for you to meet that need. But in order for me to ask it of you, I run the risk of a conflict. The pain that I feel in not getting the need that I currently have met is less painful than it would feel to be rejected when requesting said need. So over and over and over, I run this cost-benefit analysis. Do I want that need to be met? Yes, I absolutely do. But is it worth the risk in asking for another person to help me? Maybe not. Because if it makes you angry and if it results in a conflict, that would not only not help me meet my need, but it would deplete me further. And I'm already kind of running low on fuel. Any, like That's why I'm asking for things. That's why I'm asking for help. The problem, though, is that if I keep engaging in this way, over time, those tiny little deficits, sort of, you know, think about the national debt even. Every single year, we are spending just a little bit more than we're bringing in in terms of tax revenue. And in the same way, this is what we're doing with emotions. So every year, we spend a little bit more and we make a little bit less, so we have a deficit. Over time, that deficit accumulates, and that accumulation of said deficits are what we would call debt. This is what happens to us emotionally. As highly sensitive people, we start accumulating these small little deficits. I will, you know, accommodate you here. I will refuse to ask for help there. I will take care of it over here. I will soften everything for you and your landing over there. And no one in the meantime is even privy to this information. They don't know that I'm giving up little bits here and there. They just think I'm being. They just think I'm surviving and living, and that's me. 
But there does come a time when all those little miniature deficits start to accumulate enough interest where I can't actually pay the bills, pay the emotional bills. And so what results is this drastic overhaul of my emotional budget. And as a result, all of a sudden, I'm vomiting up my emotions onto everyone around me. But I can't actually vomit my emotions up on everyone around me. They very quickly give me feedback that this isn't working well for them. They're terrified all of a sudden of the kindest person they've ever met in their lives, all of a sudden having to reckon with this beast of a woman. And so then rather than have to sit and deal with it, I've gone from one extreme to the other, and I've determined that whoever it is that I'm dealing with now doesn't have the capacity to handle these wild episodes of roller coaster riding emotions. So I run to the next relationship, and we start the process again. The same is true with jobs. I work my butt off, and I say, yes, 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 I will do anything you ask of me. I will do that thing. I will take on her job, and my job, and his job, and all the jobs. And all of a sudden, and I know I'm pretty sure you guys out there can relate, all of a sudden, my little deficits have accumulated to a substantial debt, and the debt needs to be paid immediately. There is no more credit to run on the card. I have maxed it out, and the interest rate is unbelievable. And so not only do I have to leave the job, but I have to leave the job now, God damn it, and you really need to fix it because I can't come in here one more day. There were all these opportunities, though, for me to ask for a little bit of help. There were all these opportunities for me to say, no, I can't do that thing. So what do we have to lose by staying the same, by staying the course and constantly saying to the world, oh, I would change my behavior, but I'm just so sensitive. I can't. Well, we run the risk of a constant need to flee from job to job, relationship to relationship, location to location. We're never going to be able to settle because to settle would require on some level having a little bit of enough, shall we say it again, thick skin to be solid enough and being able to stand our ground. Currently, we're like water, or at least I am. We also run the risk of having less of an income than we might like to have. As we're going from job to job to job, we're not ever at any point stopping and saying, hey, if you really want to keep me here, here's what I'm going to need from you. More money. We have less satisfaction in our relationships while we are in them. Why? Because we're not getting our basic needs met. We haven't even entertained the possibility of venting out what we really need in our relationships. And by the time we do, it's an avalanche of needs because we haven't been doing it one at a time. We've been accumulating these need deficits into a bucket and then we just pour it over the head of our poor lovers, our poor friends. We also, and this is the tipping point here for me, run the risk of like poor health. Because if we're not getting our emotional needs met, on some level, we're going to need to get them met using some kind of a fix-it, a quick band-aid. What, uh, oh, what is her name? Glennon Doyle. What Glennon Doyle calls the easy buttons in her book, Love Warrior. So as sensitive people, if we don't get our needs met, maybe we eat. Maybe we reach for ice cream. Maybe we even reach for alcohol which, I mean, in Susan Cain's book, Quiet, she talks about alcohol as basically liquid extroversion. When you take alcohol in, you are dulling on some level your senses and you're reducing that, or rather lifting up the uh, ceiling for which you can handle stimulus. This is why so many people tend to relax when they've had alcohol. Suddenly they can handle a lot more stimulation. 
everything is possible. Everything is cool, man. No big deal, dude. It's not. It's, it's all good. We can just have another drink. Like, so we're gonna keep reaching for these other easy buttons: drugs, alcohol, maybe toxic relationships, food, maybe even exercise. I mean, exercise can be a healthy outlet, but when done in overabundance, it can be toxic. We can beat ourselves to the ground. We can have hip displacements, and we can have knee surgeries that suddenly are required at the young age of 40. So if we don't actually start to pay attention to our needs, I mean, our needs are going to get met somehow. That's just how, that's how it works. Our minds, our bodies, our systems, they will be heard. But the question is just, are we actually feeding ourselves with the sustenance that we're truly hungry for? Do we really need to run, or are we really running away from our relationship? Is it really necessary to have that second cocktail or are you really just kind of hoping to have connection with someone and for once in your life not have it be hard? This is stuff to really look at. And let me tell you something else because this whole time, so far at least, I've been very serious. Being a bitch can be kind of fun. And forgive my language, but it really isn't a nice way to say bitch. You can say things like, oh, mean jerk, but let's be real here, folks. When you see a bitch, you know one. When you see an asshole, it's an asshole. So I think, you know, there was a really intelligent gentleman who I've worked with for a long time, and he talked about healing as sort of moving yourself wherever you happen to fall on any given spectrum ever closer to the center. So there are some people out there that are monumental jerks, and they're just never going to have to worry about being too vulnerable. Every step they take toward vulnerability will always, only ever get them a little closer to the center, even when they think they're being little blubbering idiots who are letting the world walk all over them. Really and truly, no, that's not their problem. That's not their bone to pick with the universe. And likewise, people like me, who always want it to be soft and sweet and quiet and gentle, I don't think I'm really going to run the risk here of over-bitching. It's not going to happen because it's not built into the fiber of my DNA to be cruel. If anything, during those moments when I feel like I'm being the capital B bitch, most other people look at it and go, well, what took you so long? It's about time. Because it's really just being assertive. I know I've talked a little bit about communication styles, but I think it's, it, it's worth bringing up again. There's a number of different ways that people can communicate, and only one of them is healthy. So there's passive, if you're okay, I'm okay. So that's passive people tend to be the ones who will say, when asked, which restaurant do you want to go to? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Then there's aggressive. Aggressive people are the ones that say, if I'm okay, you had better be. So aggressive communication just looks like I'm going to do me and I don't really care what it costs you. There's passive aggressive. I'm not going to full frontal like attack you, but I will kind of come around the side and when you're not looking, stab you in the back. Or I'll say something that's just under the radar enough that it irks you, but not enough that you could actually go ahead and confront me about it. So an example of that is, you know, those lovely little digs that maybe your mother or mother-in-law might give at you. Or uh, passive-aggressive is maybe when someone asks you at the office if you don't mind maybe helping with a project. Passive-aggressive would be, why not? I help you with every other project. It's not really aggressive, but... It's not really okay either. Finally, there's assertive. Assertive is the I'm okay, you're okay style of communication. Assertive is what people are doing when they are able to say clearly and efficiently 
no, I can't help you with that project. However, I would love to help you in the future. Or simply, no, I'm really sorry, I can't help you. That's also assertive. Assertive behavior or communication is what you're doing when you're able to say firmly what you want, what you need, what you don't want, and what you can't have without causing any harm to the other person. It's a way of saying, I respect you and I understand what you need, but I also respect me and I have to also un like honor my own needs. This is something that highly sensitive people struggle with, at least the highly sensitive people I know. It's hard for me to say to my friends, hey, I love you, I want to be with you, but is there any possible way on the planet you could forgive my not attending this next party that you're hosting this coming weekend? I can't do it. I want to want to, but I can't. I need to recharge. Or maybe being assertive looks like saying, I would love to go with you to insert trip here, but I'm so sorry. I'm really going to have to pay for my own hotel room. I need a space that I can go and like sleep in without other people around. I want to want to sleep with you, but I just can't do it. That's also assertive. So you don't have to be a monumental jerk in order to be assertive. But it's just the ability to say, I, and never make it about you. It's always, always just, I need the following. And I want to make sure that I respect you while I meet those needs. So this, bringing this back to the idea of thickening your skin. For me, I found it really helpful to start challenging my assumptions around what's acceptable behavior, and is it really so bad to try and thicken one's skin anyway? I'm challenging it because for so long I've said to the world, you know what, screw you guys. You're going to have to accommodate me and my sensitivities. And while I like that idea, it's not working too well. I do think there's value in trying to thicken it up a little bit because I do want to participate in this world. There are people who have managed to live lives that don't require any adjusting or any personal shifting around and morphing into something else or chafing against said knuckles. But those folks have to live in the woods somewhere. Those are going to be your Walt Whitmans. Those are going to be your David Thoreaus. Those are going to be, I mean, those are the people who go off somewhere by themselves, retreating from the world around them so that they can come up with insights that they can give to the world later. And it's lovely, and I appreciate it, and I definitely respect it, but it's not going to work for me. I like other people and I want to participate in this world and I want to have relationships with people who live in this world. And I'm finding it more and more difficult to do that using the I'm not going to change, you're going to have to accommodate me strategy. Because at the end of the day, we are only about 20% of the population. But we do have things to offer the other 80. How, though, are we ever going to get our word in edgewise if we can't figure out how to communicate with them? Part of learning how to be in this world is being able to come up to someone and speak their language. I mean, think about it. If you learn Spanish, does it make you somehow a traitor to your other English-speaking citizens? Do you think the French, who learn also how to speak Spanish and German, are somehow betraying their native country? I mean, I certainly don't. All they're really doing is finding another way to communicate. And here's a fun fact. People who learn more than one language tend to be significantly smarter than those who've only learned one. Why? Because they have to think in different ways. There are people who have words for things that in other, like in other languages, that we don't even have a concept of because we just don't speak that language. What a neat idea, right? So maybe instead of just assuming that when people are saying, hey guys, get a thicker skin, 
instead of assuming that they're insulting us in some way, we could take them up on it. We could maybe consider the possibility that there could be usefulness in being a little bit more of a jerk, a little bit more assertive, and maybe a little less defensive. I'm finding it helpful, at least in my own sphere. I'm suddenly going up to my boss and saying, hey, I'm just letting you know there's an opening, and that opening is a job that I'm interested in, and I can't force you to hire me by no means. All I'm telling you is I'm interested. And my supervisors are paying attention. I can't, I mean, the job that I'm going up for at my work, by the way, it's a supervisory role, and I don't know if they see me as a good fit for it. But at least I was able to get up there and say, hey, I'm putting my name in the hat, and I'm just letting you know. And I got good feedback from said supervisors, those who would be above me. And they said, that's great. You would be a great fit. So I will absolutely let you know whenever that job gets posted. Will I get the job? I don't know. But I definitely won't be getting that job if I don't say to somebody that I'm even interested. And will I be a good fit for that job? Not if I keep ninnying around and saying to the whole world, but I'm sensitive and I can't. It's hard. Life is hard. You know, I mean, grow a pair. <laughs> so as highly sensitive people, we do kind of need to chafe a little bit against our hands, at least if we want to play on the playground. If you don't, go ahead and stay off. You know, you don't have to get on the monkey bars. All I'm saying is that if you do want to get on the monkey bars, you might want to consider the possibility that yes, getting some calluses on your hand, not such a terrible idea. And here's what's great. Every person, every sensitive person who's willing to do that, yeah, they might have, we might have to sacrifice a little bit of how we like to behave. But if we can communicate in a way that the world understands and can appreciate, we might even be able to convince others, the other 80%, I mean, to soften just a little. We have a much better leg to stand on when we're saying to the world, hey, buddy, I've bucked up for you. Get down here. <laughs> Soften a little. Give me a hug. You know, you don't have to be so calloused. We're not really going to have a leg to stand on if the whole while we're saying it so far away from them and in our own language. So I hope this was useful for you, and I would really love to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, do you think I'm just pandering to the majority here, or do you think maybe there's some value in this? What, what are some... Ex what are, oh, God, speech suddenly is hard. What are some experiences that you have had where you had to thicken your skin a little and it ended up being a positive experience. If you don't have any kind of experience like that, what's an experience you have had on the opposite where you chose not to thicken your skin and that turned out to be a good choice? Love to hear from you. Um, you can email me at leahburkhart360 at gmail.com. Uh, you can also catch me at my website. It's www.thehealthysensitive.com. If you type in www.healthysensitive.com, you'll also get to me. So if you forget the the, no biggie. So yeah, please let me know what your thoughts are and uh, you know, send me a follow. Go ahead and keep on keep posted. I love to hear from you in any way, shape, or form. Have a fabulous day.